Well, this is the final episode of uh, just a, a ridiculous year. Um, <laughs> For a second, I was like, wait, what did I not? We're done. <laughs> we're what done did I now. miss? <laughs> we were just talking about <laughs> recording the next episode, too. So it must have been like, wait, what? That was, <laughs> yeah, no, that was definitely a weird, uh, a weird co-host moment for me. But yeah. I'm... Uh, Glad it's been clarified, and yeah, yeah. Sorry um, about that uh, whole year of yeah, fuckery, guys. Man, but you know, like, not to discount any of the negatives that happened this year. Like, there were a lot, and we're all very aware of them. I think, uh, you know, some cool things came out of it. Like, hey, this podcast, uh, as well as our other actual play Dungeons and Dragons podcast, Legendary Four Adventures, Space Vampires. Thank you, Gary. Um. So, uh, we're wrapping it up with the usual holiday season, uh, which is usually, you know, weird for people, for me the past few years, uh, and here we are, uh, even weirder, but I had one very big beacon of light in all of that. Uh, I watched a bunch of Christmas movies. I watched White Christmas that I, I don't really want to touch on it. It's good. It's, it's like... A 50s Christmas movie that has a bunch of dancing show tunes and stuff that you should put on in the background of... I think I've even seen it, like, twice in the background of a party, but I finally, like, sat down and watched it. It's a good movie. That's not what I'm wanting to talk about. What I want to talk about is 2019's Klaus. I don't know Ooh. if you... Uh, I, I texted you I about this movie. going to watch you, it because you, you told to me it. to. Um, it's a good movie, man. Based on, like, the... F- you know, 10 seconds of Netflix, like intro or Netflix, you know, preview yeah. I've gotten. Really interesting art style. Like that. The art's the, like the best part of it. And it's, it's. I'm excited to watch it for that, especially. You know. But like, it looked good too. Like it didn't look like. Yeah. You know how sometimes when you're on Netflix and you pass something and you're like, weird, this looks like a Pixar movie, but I've never heard it. And then as the intro plays, you're like, that's why. Yeah. You know, it's like this really weird, dumb, like voice acting plot thing and you're just like this is clearly like not a good movie with like some <laughs> great animators yeah where that i was like oh this looks like a good movie well honestly you know? i had the first reaction when i was when i'd seen the promos for it i was like i don't know it looks like a unique animation but like some post office guy but it's somehow like the origin story of christmas and i'm like eh, i don't know whatever but it's really good like uh this main character has big uh, Cusco vibes from Emperor's New Groove. Classic. Um, like, big time. He's voiced by Jason Sw- Jason Schwartzman, uh, who oh, also has nice. a similar, similarly kind of like nasal, oh, it's okay. I'm just going to do this then. You know, like... Totally, uh, totally. And it works really well. And then I'm not even going to tell you who voices Santa Claus if you don't already know because oh I don't so that excites me oh man uh, I don't even want to talk about the process of me figuring it out because it's shameful because I couldn't figure it out for a while and then when I when I finally did get the name I was like oh my god how did I like I feel ashamed that I didn't immediately just go oh it's that person. Um, I turn it on. It's just like Arnold Schwarzenegger, or <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, like one Dang, of the most. I want to deliver like, the presents. <laughs> how would I? Who is this? I recognize uh, this. I don't know. There's something about his quality of voice, or like, uh, what's his name? Gilfried. 
Uh, <laughs> Gilbert, Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried, yeah. It's just like, this is somewhat recognizable. Yeah. I'm Santa Claus, you know? Right. But it, it it's well written. It's got a lot of heart to it. Um, and the main thing about it is the animation is so unique and just beautiful. So, like, even if you don't enjoy it, like the, the story of the movie, which I think you will, uh, you will definitely enjoy and respect the animation style. So that's what I wanted oh. to touch on for our, uh, our little intro I'll check section. That out. What uh, what have you been watching? I checked out uh, Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah. Because so apparently, I didn't know that this was going to be a thing, but apparently for HBO Max users, it's just free and available for one month. Yeah. I, so if I anyone just, like, knows anything, my... I just want to yeah, reach out to the community it. real quick. We have HBO through Hulu. Like we got the HBO add-on to Hulu. And when I search Wonder Woman 1984, it comes up with just HBO Max, like amongst other titles. And then it just says HBO Max. I'm like, uh, and I click on it and it looks like we have it, but it shows me like 12 other titles and won't, like I cannot find it. Is this something that I can't watch it with Hulu? Somebody help me. <laughs> Reach out to us. Yes, yeah, help us out anyway. in the comments. Uh, but Gary, continue with your experience. Calvin access to this movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was definitely... I'm kind of glad I watched it at home. and mm-hmm. it Because I had a really good experience with it. And then going away from it started to do a little... Uh, reaching out to people that watched it, looking up mm-hmm. online, some reviews, and it's very mixed. A lot of people didn't yeah. like this movie. And uh, I think the home setting and the comfort gave it gave me allowed for uh, just for me to be like, it's a fucking movie. You know yeah. what I mean by that? Sure. Yeah. Um, I would say for those who are skeptical about seeing this one, if you liked the first Wonder Woman but are okay with it being like that, but just dumb. <laughs> and I know that sounds bad, but I mean that in like, for me, a good way for some, it is a bad thing. Yeah. You'd like this movie. It's like the best way I could describe it is if like you took a Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, but the writing wasn't that great. Hmm. Which you're like, okay, okay well, that doesn't sound that good. I know. <laughs> yeah. But there are some just, I get really how that could cool... sound fun though. Yeah. yeah, like the direction is cool and fun, and there's just some things that happen that you're like, what? And <laughs> it makes it fun. But a lot of the criticisms I've been seeing of it are like, I mean, yeah, you're, yeah, that's a valid criticism, I guess, but that's not the movie that was, you know, that yeah. wasn't the intent of the movie. So I don't know. But overall, like looking into it, it's clear that uh, Patty Jenkins. Um, wasn't given total freedom for the writing of this movie, just the direction, uh, and that's why it was directed really well. But when you look at the writers, there's one particular uh, writer who's involved that helped write a lot of like CW uh, superhero oh, TV shows. Yeah, and he's a guy. And Wonder Woman has like an underlying feminist message, so yeah. this one's feminist message. Really didn't work. It didn't work. Okay. It did not work. No, there's like a couple scenes, particularly I've been seeing criticized that I agree with the criticism, mm-hmm. and I I would like to hope that it's because this guy or another guy. There are like three guys that helped write this movie, and it's just like not the movie for them to help write. But yeah, the scenes 
that are fun are really fun. So, yeah. Okay, interesting. I mean, if I ever figure out how the hell to <laughs> get access <laughs> to that movie, I'll check it out. Um, but one thing that we all have very free, easy access to, well, not free. We have easy access to, because everybody, <laughs> Avatar The Last Airbender, let's get into Woo! our show. <laughs> you are listening to A New Lens. I'm Calvin. This is a podcast that Gary and I started to talk about film and television that we liked as kids through the new lens of adults and amateur filmmakers. We've been watching Avatar The Last Airbender episode by episode. We are now on uh, season three, episode Six, the Avatar and the Fire Lord. Ooh. God, when I started this one, I was like, wait, we're already here? Yeah. Because this episode has such a, hey, here you go, feeling. <laughs> like, it <laughs> yeah, literally yeah. starts with Aang being like, Roku? And he's like, I need to show you something. Come on. You know what I right. mean? It's just like, a, it's, you're here. It's, like, we're yeah. showing you things. So it's I feel like episode. I remembered it. Yeah, it's odd. I remembered it being like, is this one of those episodes that comes in, like one of the last like five episodes of the show where no, they like exposition? Yeah. It's Is this an exposition? And it's like, as soon as it started this early in the season, I was like, no, like this is like, you need pre-exposition. For yeah, exactly. Zuko's for... character arc, pretty vital. Exactly. Which like I without forgot. spoiling what happens, but like if you haven't seen the show before, like... I think you can understand how monumental this episode is to Zuko and his character arc and his decision so far and what he's, you know, going to be deciding in the future. It's, I don't know, it's, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a wild. It's big. So this episode is uh, pretty different than the other ones, especially being that we don't get a lot of other perspectives we see ang and we see zuko we kind of go back and forth between them both learning about uh their past but like before they were born past we see the uh basically through each of their lenses zuko reading um an old scroll he finds in the dragon bone catacombs yeah and ang through the spiritual dream state that roku appears to him through um sorry we see the life of roku and sozin the two like big big names that kind of like have been appearing throughout the show that we know like started this all a hundred years ago when the war started roku and sozin were the, the avatar and the fire lord and we know that but we don't know like how it happened and this episode, through storytelling, basically shows us what happened. We see uh, Roku and Sozin were friends at one point. They got split up when Roku became the Avatar and needed to train. Um, and then in their older age, some shit went down that made Roku basically have to be like, Yo, Sozin, we were cool. We've been friends. But you're getting power hungry. Stop. And then they stopped <laughs> being friends in their old age. And roku's home island of a volcano erupted creating the situation where sozin from a hundred miles away was like i gotta go help my old friend and then in the middle of helping him realized wait if i don't he'll die and i can start this war with no problems which is what happened and that's how the hundred year war started 
Yeah. And um, so both Zuko and Aang learn all of this. And the episode ends with Zuko basically being like, okay, I have this information now. What the fuck am I supposed to do with it? And he realizes that it was probably given to him by his uncle Iroh. So he approaches him and has a conversation with him. And that's kind of how the episode yeah. ends. This episode, I didn't take many notes. It's a pretty like explanatory episode but done in a way that's so much fun to watch you know what i mean it doesn't feel like a chore like i'm learning things it feels like oh yes i'm finally figuring this out totally like it does feel a little odd because it is sort of taking a step back from our you know main storyline to give more context to that storyline you know but i'm trying to think of any way that they could do it any differently and I don't think there is one. I think this is like feels, best yeah, case scenario feels, of how to give this like how to give this context. It takes a few seconds for me to get on board. Like when it when Aang is dreaming and Roku and all that, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's the episode. But then I'm on board. You know what I mean by that? Right. Like when when those first few seconds are happening, I'm like, oh. But once it starts, I'm like, that is the perfect way to just because that's what happens, yeah. you know? Like, one day, Aang just... This happened to him, and we're yeah. seeing that. And they could have inserted this into an episode about something else. But I think the the showrunners or the writers... They, I think the director, too. Like, everybody kind of realized, like, this is a whole episode. Yeah. You know? Just these right. stories between these two characters and the connection between them. That's a whole episode. So let's just dump it all into one thing. And they could have had, like, Roku come to Aang at the end of the last episode or something and be like, meet me on this island so that we have the lead up to it so it doesn't feel so isolated as its own episode. But, like, that would have felt weird, especially the last episode was the beach. Can you imagine after running away from that dude who fires explosions at them, he got a vision that he needed to go, like, meet Roku? It would have been like, what? Wait, what? Um, And... There's something about this season, too, where each episode kind of feels... I don't know. There's something episodical about this season. It's like the first season was Monster of the Week episodical feeling. Mm -hmm. Second season really figured out how to tell the story through each episode. And now this third season is like a hybrid. It's like we're going to have each episode be its its own individual awesome tale... But this overarching story is now known, so you, you're going to get little tastes of it throughout. Right. And I feel like, specifically with this episode, they were like, all right, well, we just have to... Because we like if the last episode would have had like a cliffhanger, it would have changed the entire vibe of the last episode. Mm-hmm. And if this episode were to start off of a cliffhanger, it would change the entire vibe of this episode. And right. then the next episode... Like, I don't know. There's something about the lack of that happening in this season that I really appreciate. Yeah. You know, there's not so much setup payoff between episodes. It's more like, I don't know. I think they trust that the, the watchers of the show, like when this was airing on Nickelodeon, Mm. we're going to come back anyway. You know what I mean? Right. Especially like if you're this far and you're seeing this contact, you're coming back. Um, But the way they do set the scene again, like you said, it happens very fast. Like, 
intro happens, and then there's the previously on, and then you just get this, and then immediately like fade into flames, and Roku just appears, and he's like, "Ang, it's time you learned my history," and it's like, "Oh shit, <laughs> okay, <laughs> like we're doing this." Um, and uh, he tells him to meet him at uh, his home island at the summer solstice, and. I like this little shot of they they fade back to Aang like curling over in his sleep and in his sleep he says, "Okay, Roku." <laughs> like I don't know. I, I just, love that. Shit. I like that. Um, and then you've got this awesome transition. I'm not gonna highlight every single one, uh, but I'm gonna highlight this first one and then we can touch on it in general about the episode. The way they switch back between Aang and Zuko in this episode is so constant. And it could be disorienting, but it's just not. It it Mm-mm. flows. So yeah, there's smoothly. a couple moments too where they even switch from a flashback, like Roku's face, and right. then it and it's a uh, match cut to Zuko's face. Right. And it's like things like that like happen throughout the episode, and that's why it's never jarring because of those like match cuts and transitions are always so fluid, and mm-hmm. it's not too many times. For such a short episode with so many transitions, it doesn't feel like, all right, Jesus. You know what I mean? It's Right. I think it's partially because we are being led through this story just like the characters are being led through the story. Totally. totally. Like the narration is happening by Roku and Sozin for the most part. Um, but we'll get to that in just a second. But, you know, just the the, like you said, the sort of shot match transitions like ang rolling over in bed uh switching over to zuko rolling over in bed and hearing something um and he gets up and goes and gets the scroll but you know there's a few others where somebody reaches for something and then it's a fade to the hand reaching for the scroll or you Mm -hmm. know something like that Mm -hmm. it's very well connected and it feels you know these are it's it's a lot like bitter work you know what i mean it's yeah um and this episode a little unlike Bitter Work, but also a little similar to Bitter Work, feels stylistically like kind of on its own. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, fe- it sticks out in my memory. Absolutely. But so Zuko does wake up to this scroll. Um, someone's just turning the corner as he opens his door and hears something and there's a scroll here and he opens it up and it says, it's time you learned the story of your great grandfather's demise. Um we get back to the gang and they're traveling to uh, Roku's home island in this cloud. And I love the like zoom shot in and then the fade through the cloud. And you see Ang swirling his arms, like maintaining this cloud as they travel. Just very cool. I, I don't think that's necessarily a, a moment that is as heightened and well animated in order to convey something as it is just like, Here's how they do that. <laughs> and yeah, it's dope. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's do- yeah, because we saw it before and we were like, we know that that's possible, but now we're seeing them actually make it happen. It's like, yep. okay, cool. They land on this island and Toph jumps down and feels that uh, this island that they think is completely empty is actually, there are hundreds of houses buried under layers and layers of ash. Um and you know molten rock so i don't know maybe a volcano or something happened (laughs) kind of reminiscent of 
like Pompeii, you know, so yeah. like there are real ancient cities in um right. in the world that have been completely covered by uh destruction like a volcano. Absolutely. Zuko is standing and looking at the like royal portrait of Sozin and musing about, you know, trying to figure out <laughs> How he died because this scroll is very mysterious and his sister walks by and she's like, you know, it's still there's still time for you to go with uh, have a sitting with the court court painter. Make sure they get your good side. It's like, fuck off. Azula. And, uh, and I honestly also, these forgot are... Azula was even in this episode because it was such for a fuck a off moment. moment. Yeah. Um. And she's there to just give context, which actually, she is the perfect vessel to give context as to what all of the brainwashed Fire Nation believes happened, you know? She yeah. is sort of the epitome of that. You know, she Because says, she, yeah, I mean, and, and you can even tell that with her, it's not continuing, like, perpetuating the uh, brainwashing. She's just brainwashed, you know? Right. There's a difference she's, she's between... She's like, duh, it's this. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's talking about how so like he... How did Sozin die? And she says, well, he began the war. Uh, he waited for his time to strike. He was patient and clever. And Zuko's like, yeah, but how did he die? And she's like, peacefully in his sleep. He was an old man. And uh, that's not enough for Zuko. He looks up at this painting. I like this uh, high angle shot of him just like determined looking at it. And so uh, we get a quick cut back. Aang goes into the Avatar state sitting on this uh, peak on the island looking at this beautiful sunset. And I love that his state in the Avatar state, his physical state changes back to he's wearing his robes and... He has a shaved head. Me too. I was going to say that it's so, it was almost like a, whoa, when I saw him. Yeah. Like balding. But I love that it kind of reminds me of um, in the Matrix uh, when Neo first goes to the Matrix with Morpheus and mm. he's like, wait, my hair's back. And uh, uh. and Morpheus yeah. is like, this is what you would call your uh, subconscious something. Like, mm. this is what you look like to yourself. Or something yeah, like that, basically. Right. And this kind of reminds me of that. Like, this is like Aang's, like the spirit of Aang, the Aang's soul, the like what he looks Aang, like. Yeah. yeah, is this. It's not what we've been getting used to in this new season, you know? Right. And I just yeah. think that's cool to, I don't know. It, it reminds me of that moment in The Matrix, but also just, it's cool. Like, yeah. Uh, I don't know if, like, he's willing for that. I like to think maybe a little bit like maybe, you know, he mm -hmm. like in a dream, you know, you were wearing what subconsciously you'd want to be wearing in that dream. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like Aang is just like, of course, this is what I look like in the spirit world. You know, like maybe right. he could have long hair if he like just decided to. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, I but it, it also gives, you know, more context to in the first episode of this season, The Awakening, when he was so against you know going out without being able to show his arrow and you know was kind of mad about his hair like he's like what i have mm -hmm. hair and it's because this is like this is not who he is like there there's yeah. uh it, the the clothings and the articles of his people 
um, that the articles of clothing of his people and the practice of shaving his head and like showing his tattoos that are like all of this is very traditional and important to his identity. So like it's just reinforcing all of that. I just think yeah. it's, it's a very, very well done point. And we go back to Zuko. And he's got this scroll in his room. He's like, what does it mean? And he throws it, and it lands on top of a lamp. And we see this hidden text start to reveal itself, which, I mean, they are firebenders. So that's what I was thinking. But, like, if you needed him to know this. You would have never found it. Like, it's very lucky that he threw this in frustration at a lamp, you know? Like, there wasn't even, like, a... To reveal the secrets, heat, right. or whatever. You know, there was no clue. <laughs> if you want to actually see, light it up. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. It's like in National Treasure or something. Yeah. I, I feel like even yeah. they had like a clue that made them go, wait, we need to use lemon juice in an oven for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he, yeah, I like to think that, you know, maybe he, he, eventually would have had to use like his firebending underneath it to see the letter i don't know yeah it's a he would have figured it out it's sort of to just be totally a, honest with you this is one of the moments of this episode that i'm like all right it's the only one maybe too <laughs> yeah you know where i'm like but how? I think it is for me i think it's the only one it's like okay if you really wanted him to know wouldn't he just it, i just it? wish there was one line one like thing that was in the text that made his eyebrow raised and then he takes his hand and puts a flame sure. underneath it you know yeah just like Instead a, a riddle a like a clue accident. that that someone like azula would read and think nothing of you know right yeah i don't know that would have been cool but i'm sure that stuff's hard to think of yeah you know yeah i, I give him a pass on it it's a very small detail and you know we've given a lot of passes and just been like it's got a destiny feel to it. I don't get that from this, but you know what? I'll That's assign it to thing, it yeah. so that I can like it. <laughs> um, so that we can, yeah. Yeah. And it says that the Fire Sages hold the actual history of Sozin, uh, Sozin's final testament um, in the Dragonbone Catacombs, which is such a dope name. Oh, dope name. Dragonbone sad. Catacombs. What do you mean? When he goes down there, we see, oh, yeah. like, lined up against the walls, skulls of dragons. Yeah. And all I can think of is, like, uh, how did that happen? The way he gets down there is super dope, just real quick. Oh, it's he, so cool. He waits. Him seeing the guard oh, and then the guard goes waiting the and then them this... doing that cool transition yeah. from him standing there waiting to, okay, now he's crouched and the moon is and a little lower, is lower, so we know, yeah. like, an hour has passed. I don't right. know. Yeah. So cool. That's I love that in a movie or a show when a lookout or someone waiting doesn't wait like 15 minutes. They wait like two hours and we yeah. see that because right. that's real. Like in real life, it doesn't take five minutes to know you're in the clear. It takes right. like two hours, you yeah. know, and it's just cool whenever they do that. It shows like the dedication in the the willingness to like get this information he's like almost falling asleep on the staircase right you know yeah uh just the technology involved is super cool too like we've seen a lot of this like firebending to open a gate you know we've seen yep. that before it's just i think it's very cool that they're integrating that 
in more ways. I mean, it's also not, if you think about it, a terribly efficient way to keep something safe. <laughs> Unless it's like a hidden gate and you wouldn't know to go in there. Anybody who can firebend can get in there. You know what I mean? Yep, that's what I was thinking too. Just like, uh, or maybe uh, something about the show that I don't often realize is all of the characters we follow are like the best of at what they do right yeah so maybe true. like you have to be a really 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 powerful firebender and we just don't realize that because of course this guard is and of course suko is right know? yeah but sure. like if yeah. you know uh citizen number five who also just happens to know how to firebend were mm. to try to do this it would just be like you know <laughs> yeah just like a little puff yeah well, he gets down this spiral staircase through this corridor with these bones. He finds this door with the Fire Nation emblem, which is another, like, firebend into it. And he gets into this room, and there's cobwebs and spiders <laughs> uh, walking on those webs, hanging off of the final testament of Fire Lord Sozin. And he begins to read it, and this is when the episode, like, really begins. This is all just a couple minutes of them. It's like, come with me. You must find this. Ah, oh, where do I find it? Oh, okay. And then, like, we finally get the narration begins. And we get this voice narrating in Zuko's head of actual Sozin. Sozin's voice. Who, if you like, didn't wow, know. Wow, that's an iconic voice. Wow, that's a, that's a nice voice. I recognize voice. that. Ron fucking Perlman. They got Ron Hellboy Perlman. himself. Oh my god. It's so like and he's so perfect for for the for this voice. I didn't realize see Ron Perlman to me is such a face that yeah. I forgot how much of a voice he is too. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean by that? Yes. Cuz Ron Perlman, for those of you who don't know, I just mentioned he played Hellboy and this is nothing against the man. I really respect him and appreciate him as an actor. They didn't have to use that much makeup to make him look <laughs> like Hellboy. He's got a very unique, got a prominent uh, chin. just and like a hard this. Brow. Yeah, and like his mouth is just like perfect for a cigar in it. I don't know. There's something about him that's just like so yeah. unique. But his voice adds to that. It adds so much to that. And until this episode of Avatar, I didn't even think of that. I never thought of Ron Perlman as like a voice and a look it was always just a look you know yeah, yeah. but good god he's so good in this episode with he really is so many different moments yeah um the narration begins and he says he thinks back on when everything was so much brighter and you just see these two young men like practicing firebending at each other in this courtyard and you fairly quickly realize it's Sozin and Roku and uh eventually Sozin oh I'm just making a connection oh my god Sozin they're fighting they're like having this back and forth Sozin waits and sees a moment of weakness and utilizes it to defeat Roku he waits until his foot is good lord right by this root and he can utilize that opportunity to succeed to defeat him in this fight which is exactly what he will end up doing uh later on and i didn't even realize that man that is so that's so smartly laid out uh i love these these two um i mean 
so we're we're switching sort of back and forth between Zuko reading Sozin's account of everything and it being visualized, and then that visualization being the like spirit dream that Roku is showing Aang. It's um, very well done. I love yeah. that they don't have two completely different points of view. They right. use the story to show. You know what I mean by that? Yes. Like. It almost gives me the idea that they're uh, both getting an almost unbiased point of view of this, right. uh, of these events, even though they're both being told from the point of view of a specific person. Uh, it's clear that they're both actually seeing what happened. You know what I mean? They're not just seeing what happened from Sozin's point of view or from Roku's point of view. Both of their point of views just so happen to be in this one case actually what happened right you know what i mean yeah no i like that too um ang is surprised that roku and sozin were friends and you were friends with the fire lord and roku says well at the time he was just prince sozin and he was my best of friends um <laughs> sozin tries to encourage roku to talk to this girl and he's too nervous and he like falls over dramatically into the grass and i love that sozin just like sits down next to him and starts pulling up grass and dropping it on there's his face there's something there's just something so friendship real about that it's so specific it's it's such a they're not like being buddy buddy with each other it's like oh i'm bummed out and his friend just goes up and like doesn't know what to do rips grass and Puts, puts it on, it on his, his face, face like, and it's just like a thing. I don't and, know. There's yeah. something so real about that friendship moment. Yeah, I don't I know. Agree. It, I love it. It's very potent for some reason because it's so specific. You know, it, know. it feels like whoever wrote this episode that that happened to them. They're like, this is something that my friend did, and it like in the moment comforted me, even though it was weird and like funny, and I don't know. It just felt so human. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Roku expresses that love can be hard when you're young. And Aang's like, you're telling me. <laughs> um, and I'm 12. <laughs> and, you know, uh, like, oh, man. And I love the way Roku says, don't worry, it gets better. Um, I, just, I like that, too. I like the way he, this voice actor, I mean, we've called him out before, but James Garrett, who voices Roku, is oh so he's comforting good. man he's so he's comforting. comforting i also uh did want to call out uh these teen versions of roku and sozin the actors that play them uh teen roku his name is andrew caldwell and teen sozin is sean marquette um i thought i had seen sean marquette's name before but he doesn't actually have any more credits on on this show so uh i looked through his stuff for a minute but I couldn't find much on on either of them, but I I do think the the casting director did a very good job finding young versions of the voices that they will grow up to be because they're such unique voices, and both know? of them really are. Ron Perlman and James Garrett have very unique voices, a unique rasp to them. Yeah, you know? Ron Perlman is more of like a a rich sort of deep thing, and Roku's like. I'm speaking to you now, <laughs> you know? Yes. Like, yeah, you just um, nailed it. And the uh, uh, Andrew Caldwell, the young Roku, has, like, a similar quality without being, like, an old man. Like, this is a teenager who has 
a similar quality of voice. I, I just think that's super well done. It's a tiny little detail, but it makes this episode feel like you know if he had come up and and been like, oh, I can't talk to her. I don't I don't know how to do this. If it like, was like the Sokka voice actor, or yeah, something. right. If he was Jack Decina or something, hell no. But it, yeah, so it it works very well. Uh, we cut over to their shared birthday celebration because apparently they had the same birthday, which is kind of wild and also makes you go like, man, can you fucking imagine how awful it would have been if Sozin had been born the Avatar? Whoa. But also, I, I think didn't even think of that. Something I want to shit. Something I want to get into a little bit about this is what happens at this birthday celebration is these fire sages come and they announce that Roku is the next avatar. And Sozin has this moment where everybody in the courtyard all like gets to their knees and bows to Roku. And Sozin looks at all of that and he's the prince. Like he is to be the fire lord. And he looks up at Roku and it's like the power dynamic is completely shifted now. And I think the bitterness he holds from that is part of what makes him do what he does. Like I he wants completely. to be the most That's powerful the person on the planet. He he thought he was going to be the most powerful person in the Fire Nation, and here's his friend Roku, who will always be by his side. And now Roku's the most important person on the fucking planet. Mm-hmm. So he I makes almost, himself. I that. almost wonder if he if Sozin had been announced the Avatar. If it would have been different, like maybe just being the avatar could have like shown him the balance of the world and like why it's important. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, He would have to train with all, you know, different nations and learn to appreciate them. Kind of interesting to think about. Uh, about. But yeah, I I always love that moment, too, because you see him grab on to that feeling of like, "Ah, it's not guilt, uh, that envious. Yeah. Like, look. And throw it away and bow himself as well. Right. Like, at this point, they're still friends. And he's like, we're still friends. So I'm going to bow because I respect him as a friend. And he he's the Avatar. You know, you can mm-hmm. tell that, like, he went through a thought process there. And I, I really love that they do that. They don't just... This could have easily been, like, and that was when everything changed. Right. You know, but, like, it wasn't. Yeah. It takes a minute. And, like, they even... Later, uh, like right after that show, uh, Sozin like joking around with them, like, come right. on, like hit me with all the four elements. And he like does like you, you can almost see jealousy in the fact that he's able to use the four nations movements. Huh. He's like, yeah. see, I know how to do it. If I were the avatar, I'd be great at this. Sure. Do you know huh. what I mean by Interesting. that? Yeah, I do. And I do. Roku being like upset about it. I think his response to that. He's still there for him. Sozin, I mean. Like, Roku being like, I just... They said I won't need... I started packing my things, and they said I won't need any worldly possessions. Which is such a huge change in your life to happen so quickly. And he's expressing that. Especially when you look around his, like, room. He's got, like, this big, nice room filled with stuff. And, like, that sucks. (laughs) And then just an empty chest in front of him. That he was like starting to put stuff in, and they were like, "Oh no, Someone you don't need like, things." No. <laughs> it's like, oh, um, but yeah, they are still friends in this moment. And Sozin tries to, you know, make uh, reach out to him in a certain way by giving him this royal artifact, this bun. What would you call this? 
It's it goes over. I think there's a name like for bun it. Decoration, but I want to just call it a bun crown. Bun crown. <laughs> um, let me see if this is <laughs> okay. It looks like the website calls it a hair ornament, which okay works works a bit better. But I like bun crown. So bun crown. Um. Um. But Asian we've seen this on crown. Roku since the beginning, so we've always. Like, I don't know. To me, this is such a cool moment of us. Now we know where Roku got that thing. Not that we ever wondered. He's Fire Nation. It's a Fire Nation thing, and that's why he has it. Mm -hmm. But we don't now wonder, why doesn't anyone else have it? Because it's only for the Crown Prince. This was something Zuko had, you know what I mean? Or could have had, but didn't because he's been since we've known Zuko, banished. You know what I mean? So it just like contextualizes like why Roku has it, what it is at all. And it's just so, I don't know. To me, this is one of the coolest moments of the show. Because he's had it every time we've seen him. Yeah, now, I don't know. I love stuff like that. Like, where did the character... I can hate it sometimes, like... I don't need to know how Han Solo got his leather jacket or whatever. That's because but all I, that felt ham-fisted. You know, they were like, yeah. we know you want this, so here's where every this little is detail. Like, like, yeah, where this was like, I didn't realize that that was special, and now right. that I know it is, yes. it it creates a warmth in me. And if I rewatch the show and see Roku before this information is revealed which mm-hmm. we are doing right now, <laughs> Yeah, it feels special seeing that uh, hair ornament, that yep. crown bun, bun crown. Bun crown. Crown bun. Bun crown. Um, we get, <laughs> we got away from this for just, they, there's so much like deep and kind of heavy context they're giving in this episode. They've got to intercut it to keep kids' attention. <laughs> this whole pooping thing is like, <laughs> It's pretty. I never understand it. <laughs> it's it's pretty odd and like not even. What is he doing? A clever, ju- like he's you know they. So he's Aang gets up and he like of... squats and goes and so what's the her? What yeah, is that? exactly. You because know? they cut away after the like joke and Aang is you know straddling a dragon. He's riding the dragon, but why did he make like a like? Why a... did he pressure? Yeah, like yeah, was... <laughs> like. And I, yeah. I do, though, I love the callback to, like, season one of Katara being like, are there bathrooms in the spirit world? And, and Sokka knows. And he's yep. like, in fact, there are not. Because <laughs> in season one, when he got out of the spirit world, he's like, I just have to go to the bathroom. Yep. You know? Yep. I love that. Long that just cracks callback. me up. It's great. It's, yeah, I love that. So Roku leads Aang on his uh, dragon, his spirit what what do they call it again? Animal companion? His spirit guide? Spirit guide. Spirit guide. His spirit guide Fang, this dragon. Um and they he leads them over to the Eastern Air Temple, where he trained with someone Ang knows, a young monk Gyatso. And I love how fucking similar to Ang Gyatso is. Like the Me way too. he gives that big cheesing smile as he's flying and like he's kind of, you know, inventive. He gets on top of his glider and air surfs and you see like we already got context that Gyatso was the biggest influence on Aang as a kid. But now we see exactly we get more flavor as to who Gyatso was in his life and what values he 
bestowed upon Aang. Yeah, and I even love the small details of they could have just animated him as just like a very easily and uh, nondescript small bald monk. Mm-hmm. But he looks like a young Gyatso. Yeah. You know what I mean? He does. It's just, I don't know, like, credit to animators for understanding, like, how human beings age. Yeah. This episode shows it better than maybe any other one because we see, like, multiple stages of some characters. And they they must have studied some anatomy and, like, some, like, medical shit to figure out, like... Because Gyatso, when we know him, is, like, very frail. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's, like, a thin, frail man. man. But this young yeah. boy has, like, some sturdiness to him almost. You know what yeah. I mean? Yep. But you can totally tell that he's going to grow up to be Gyatso. I don't know. Yeah. Shit says, like that is just He cool. says one line, and I could not find... I swear to God, this young Gyatso says one line as he's air surfing. I forget what he says, but he says something like, ah, check it out, or, like, something like that. And I could not find the the only credited voice for Gyatso in this episode is Sab Shimono, who voices like Gyatso, like old Gyatso. And I'm like, no, there's no way that no they way. just like in audio dub changed the audio. The voice sounded to me like ah, Northern Air Temple, the guy in the the glider wheelchair. Yeah. He sounded like that to me, and I, I was so excited to, like, look it up and be like, yes, I knew it was that guy. But I cannot find – the only credit they give is to Sab Shimono, who is defo not in this episode. Um, and I even wanted to compliment, like, recognizing that voice, but also feeling like it fit for young Gyatso. But I'm not sure what the story is there. Um, but they crash. The air surfing makes them both crash. They have this little moment of like air bending each other's hair out of out of each other's faces, which is fun. Um, and ah, uh, Roku says some friendships are so strong they can transcend lifetimes. Ah, oh, it's just a that. beautiful line. It's yeah, so beautiful. it's really beautiful. And then he goes to the Northern Water Tribe. Uh, which he says was especially challenging for him because it was the opposite of his sign or his his element, you know, um, <laughs> his sun sign, his moon sign, and his you know rising. It's, it was all opposite of no, um, the opposite element. So it was hard. It was challenging for him, but eventually he mastered it. We get this quick scene of him facing off against this guy who's training him on top of like Do you an think ice, it's Master Paku, iceberg. possibly? Or is the guy too old? He doesn't really look like Master Paku I think he me. might be too old, you know? Because Master yeah. Paku would have to be like 150 Right, because his teacher has like gray hair. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think he's probably a bit, bit too old. Um, and also I feel like they would have been like, Paku, who you met! <laughs> you know, like they would have done that shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, then he went to the Earth Kingdom and trained with someone else. I forget that name, but it, it, it's not brought up again. Who I love he how said, he says, it was bitter work. Yeah, I was like, that episode where he, where Aang learned earthbending was called bitter work. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love the way they're racing up this hill, like, you know, sliding these rock platforms up. And the teacher thinks he gets there first, and he looks up, and Roku just, uh, by the way, buff Roku, uh, yeah, who is now Earthbending Master, is just there pouring him a cup of tea. 
Like, where do you even get the tea? You yeah. know, like, it was there. Yeah. I like the headcanon that he, like, went up there before the challenge and, like, set up the tea and then got there and yep. heated it up real quick with his firebending. And, and, yep. Um, but the way they, like, you know, salute each other, like, lift their glasses, cheer, or, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, fucking cheers, you know, with the raise yeah, the glass. Yeah, salute. Salute? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had it right. Um, he says, it was bitter work, but the results were worth it. And we get this main theme of the show. The like, and he bends all four elements at once. And it is kind of like, why, 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 <laughs> why are you? I mean, it's dope, but like, he just sends like, let me just make sure I can earth, do this. A line of water. Yeah. I guess it's like, you know, practicing doing all four at once. Which is pretty dope, and I don't think we've seen in the show. Or maybe this is in his mind. Like, maybe this is spiritual, you know? Like, a spiritual... Like, in his mind, he now knows he can bend all four elements, and this is a representation of that, you know? Yep. So, all of this training took him 12 years is the context that we get. So, now I'm, I'm, I'm thinking they're probably... They were like, I don't know, like 17, 18, you know? In the beginning, Something. they seem like somewhere around there. They're now in their late 20s or like around the age 30 is what I'm thinking. And Sozin is now narrating and saying uh, he was gone for 12 long years. And when he came back, he he had changed and I had changed. Roku walks into this throne room and Sozin says, It's customary for citizens of the Fire Nation to bow to their Fire Lord. But you're the exception. And, uh, okay, th- yeah, they're still friends. It's been a while. They've both changed. But they still have the understanding that they are friends. And besides still being his best friend, he was his best man. Roku marries this girl he was fawning over. Um, and he says, uh, when love is real, it finds a way. And also being the avatar, it doesn't hurt with the ladies. <laughs> Which is, <laughs> I love that. It's kind of funny. Roku being like, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed that part of it. Why not? Uh, but Sozin had his own vision for a brighter future. Uh, he pulls uh, Roku aside and he brings up how Sozin was always destined to be the Fire Lord. And though they didn't know it, Roku was always destined to be the Avatar. And think about the combination of that and that we're friends and we were born on the same day. Like, this is destiny. And we could. Uh, do anything together and i love the reserved line reading um by i think it is james garrett who's doing the the young voice at this time um says yes we could like you know you hear the reservation you You hear know that he's because in his head right now he's thinking there's a one percent chance that this dude's about to turn around and be like the world could we could bring peace to the world by just maintaining order like doing what we do now mm-hmm. but just keeping in touch yeah. i'll be a good fire lord you be a good avatar we're so close that we'll be able to make sure everything's good there's a one percent chance that's why he's got the skepticism like we could mm-hmm. maybe he'll say something good here yeah. but there's like that 99 percent chance that he's about to say what he's what he about does. to say yep our people are so prosperous right now that we're so fortunate and we need to 
share that prosperity with the world. Uh, Roku recognizes immediately what he's talking about, and he says, no, this is not okay. The four nations need to be just that. They need to be four. And he basically draws a line in the sand. He cuts the conversation short. And I don't know that this was the best possible way to go about it because Sozin just feels resentment about it. Like if Roku had spent some more time trying to be like, no, listen, don't you understand? Like balance, balance. And you are one part of this and you, you are the essential figure of one quarter of the world. Like that is, but you can see this power, like this pride within Sozin. He wants to be the one who made the world great. And I think it, goes back to his bitterness about his best friend becoming the most important person in the world who's, like, supposed to create balance. And he's like, what if I was part of that? And here's my idea to do it. And then he gets shot down and his resentment only grows, you know? And you can almost tell that when Roku shoots him down, it's not totally mature. He kind of yeah, is yeah. like, fuck you. Do not leave, bring this up you know? again. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, as you say, like, maybe he could have handled this in a way that, you know, resulted differently because he wasn't... Yeah, I like to think that this isn't just showing us, like, oh, this is the story of how Sozin fucked up the world. This is, as Roku points out later, this is a story of my, like, you know, my failings, you know? Mm -hmm. And this is a moment, I think, where maybe handled differently, it could have gone differently. Yeah. Roku says... That was my first real test as the Avatar, but little did I know that Sozin went ahead. Basically, what he's saying is, that was my first real test as the Avatar, and I failed. Like, I didn't accomplish him not pursuing this. Years later, I realized he had been spending that time building up to assaulting Earth Nation colonies and taking over Earth Nation colonies. Did you also, when you saw this wall with a gate with the Fire Nation thing over it, go, Bossing Say? Like, they never took over Bossing Say. Or were you like, okay, that's a colony, as soon as he said. Yeah, I thought it was just because it was small, you know? It looks big, though. I was, I was like, It Wait, looks what? big, but I get but it. But I thought it was uh, just someplace. Yeah, we just when I was... haven't had, besides, like, Omashu, whose walls seem more logistic because they're in the middle of like a chasm, you know. Yep. And then Bossing Say, we haven't seen any other Earth Nation towns with walls like that. So it took me yeah. off guard, but that is good context. Like colonies, that is something the Earth Nation will do. The colonies will have walls. And so Roku bursts into the throne room. And this is years later. I think they're now like early 50s. They're starting to have gray in their beards and in their hair. And I love the way it's done too. Uh, Cause both of them have this black hair. And now we see this sort of salt and pepper effect, but without just like making it kind of gray, you know, you see like Roku's mustache is white or, you know, getting yeah. pretty light gray and those little details. I just like that a lot. And he bursts into this throne room and Sozin says, if you do anything other than pledge your, as a fire nation citizen, you cannot speak to me like that. If you do anything other than pledge your loyalty to the Fire Nation, you are you're a traitor. And he's using this basically as leverage in a conversation, but you see his opinions 
hardening and changing to a more like fucking dictatorial, uh, a fascist fucking uh, mindset. And Roku, again, probably not the best way to do it, just says, don't challenge me. It won't end well for you. Um, And Roku, or uh, uh, Sozin does challenge him. He jumps out of his chair. He blasts him with fire. And the fire dissipates. And he's gone. And then he just emerges out of the earth from right behind him and just air blasts him into the door. This is such a quick fight, but it's so good. And he uses uh, all of the other elements. He does not use fire against Sozin. He bursts up through the earth, blasts him with air, and then creates this pillar. uh, Or I guess he doesn't use water. Never mind. He uses earth and air. <laughs> he probably drank a lot of water before. Coming, yeah, he was know? real hydrated. You could tell. <laughs> he lifts Sozin up by the back of his robes with this pillar of earth and then goes into that fucking avatar state to show I'm not fucking around here and basically just explodes the throne room at the Fire Nation capital and then airbends himself up to be face to face with Sozin and said, this is over. I'm sparing you in the name of our previous friendship. But if you have one step out of line from here on out, that will mean your permanent end. I'm going to kill you if you keep doing this shit. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Uh, 25 more years went by, and Sozin clearly did not realize his wrongs. He just went, well, fuck you. I'm going to bide my time. And 25 years went by with no action. And Roku says he's mostly spent it at home because it was a prosperous time in the world. There was peace. And as Sozin said, the Fire Nation was in a time of prosperity. Like, all of them are in a time of prosperity. Why is he, why does he want to fuck it up? Everybody's doing all right. They're- yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I think this is a, a classic example for children especially um you get a good idea of like that weird mindset of uh like dictatorship or like Mm -hmm. the idea that they're spreading peace and prosperity among you know like because their way is the right way by indoctrinating it into other societies you're making them right too yeah that's such that is the argument for invading yeah i mean in the real world i mean too i'm not just talking avatar like in the real world when a country is invaded nine times out of ten the invading country will use the excuse of well they're underdeveloped and we are helping by you know we're bringing them to our level of societal development or whatever in yeah invading um, and Vietnam i think this so show they don't turn communist <laughs> like yeah yeah democracy is and the I right think, way yeah and i think that this show does a great job of showing us that outside of the real world that we know and the real politics that we're used to when you take all that stuff away you can just see like on a very human level like this is not okay mm-hmm. like there are different people doing different things and all of that, as we talk about often on the show, creates a balance, and that balance is important. And yeah, I think it's it's not like a teaching thing either. It's subliminal. Like you walk away from this episode now knowing like how 
World War II fucking happened. You know right. what I mean by that? Well, that that's actually in in the trivia for this episode the direct correlation that they draw saying um the invasion like justification of sharing wealth is a concept derived directly from Japanese imperialism. Not not to say, you know, they've done they they've made a point to not base the Fire Nation who are the great antagonists on any one culture. But this is very, very much reminiscent of what the Japanese Empire did in World War II as an ideological construct. It's it's actually, um, let's see, the, the title of it is uh, Daitoa Kyoikan, uh, probably pronouncing that wrong. But the Great East Asia Co-Prosperity Sphere is like the translation of it, basically, to justify invading China like and the whole South Pacific. They, they're, they're like... We are trying to share our wealth with you by invading you. <laughs> but, like, yeah. you can see where that comes from. Like, war does not come out of a void and someone's just like, I think a bunch of people should just kill each other a bunch. Like, yeah, they use justifications for this. Exactly. Which, I, yeah, I think is outlined very well in this episode. Roku says he spent most of this time after that event at his home which again leads me to believe like this is a prosperous time they don't need the avatar to be going off and do maybe he handles some spirit world shit but like mostly it was a good time uh and roku is asleep in his home when the volcano that apparently he lives on in this island bursts uh erupts is actually the technical term um and this ash and poisonous air is floating all around. He gets him and his wife get out of bed and start running. And you see everyone in this town running to get to the coast so they can escape. And I love this moment that seems like a, it, it seems important, but it doesn't seem as important. I, I watched this episode twice. And the second time I was just like, Oh my God, when Roku and his wife are running away, and their hand, they're holding hands, and then there's that like close up on their hands parting, and she runs and he stays behind because he knows he has to try and handle this. It's the last time they see each other. Like, yeah. Ugh. But then Roku, I mean, he creates this air tunnel. He uses his hand to create an air tunnel for them to run through before that moment, which I just like a lot. And then once they part ways, he creates this air sphere that just expands and expands to try and, you know, clear some of this poisonous air. And then we cut to Sozin commenting on his point of view that even from a hundred miles away, he felt the shaking of the earth of this volcano erupting. And he knew that he, no one had ever seen anything like this catastrophe. Like it, it was huge. The way that Roku combats this volcano, Aang even comments on it. He's like, yo, this is incredible. <laughs> you're fighting a volcano and you're winning. Um, and yeah, I mean, he creates this earth ledge. He creates these like chasm tunnels for the lava to flow away. And it's just like every single time he he gets he does something dope and then the volcano just there's more and he's like okay well shit i'll create these things so that it filters away oh shit okay i'm gonna fly up and try and like cool it down oh god okay i'm gonna burst the other side of the volcano rim so it flows out the other side okay this finally feels like it's all right 
another one, a second a, spout, a second volcano. Yeah, just bursts in and, this whole oh. sequence. All I'm thinking is, I am never going to live on a volcano. Oh no! <laughs> I yeah. I mean, I was gonna say I don't know why people do, but also I've never been to anywhere tropical, and that's I know that's a beauty food. But yeah, uh, one move that he does use when he's trying to cool down the top of it i just love this he jumps up into the air and he takes this big breath and as he's like descending in the arc of his jump he like holds his hands by his mouth and like air bends even more air out of the big breath he took which is a move we've seen ang do like i just Mm -hmm. love that and it cools down and it bursts him back like the force of it but as this second volcano bursts sozin arrives just to, when everything seems lost, need a hand. Um, Sozin shows up and he gets off and starts steam bending, which is a very interesting yeah. thing to me. We haven't have we seen a firebender do this yet? I don't think we have. So to me, this is him straight up bending pure heat. Yeah, that's what he's bending right now. Which the gives pure context heat of fire to what firebenders are. I finally got my mom to watch some of Avatar The Last Airbender. She watched the first few episodes, and she was like, it's really good. I just have one problem that I can't really get over. How come the firebenders can just create fire, and the rest of them need their element nearby to be able to bend it? And I was like, oh, okay, that's been addressed in a very, 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 very bad, 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 bad movie by M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, I hear you. Like, my headcanon is they bend heat, you know? Like, they... Well, yeah, because it's when Iroh was describing where the fire comes from. Right. It's from their breath. They're able to, like, focus on the breath of their... In their belly, and they churn the energy from their belly into fire. Right? Like, it's... Like, when Iroh describes it, it makes sense. (laughs) <laughs> yeah sorry and also like iroh no. iroh makes everything make sense see iroh <laughs> um yeah two things about this the firebenders get their source of power from the sun so basically they're using the heat from the sun in order to like reallocate that into fire you know what i mean that's my yeah. headcanon and the way they the the beings that they learned firebending from are dragons who can create fire. <laughs> like So in, in season one when Zuko is out in the North Pole and mm-hmm. he's using his breath of fire to keep himself warm, mm-hmm. you can tell that that shit doesn't last. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? Mm-hmm. That won't keep him alive forever. Eventually he won't be able to do a breath of fire because there, there won't be enough to heat. It. Yeah. You know? Yep. He'll use it up. So yeah, I, I think that it's not an unlimited like ability it's yeah it's using the energy in the in the air and in the in the room like when ang bends air he's technically creating air you know yeah like I, you I was, know what i mean by that's that? a point i brought up like he when he creates an air blast and moves it all you know like moves a bunch of air away he doesn't then like get lightheaded because there's no air near him now that he's pushed it away you know exactly exactly yeah you just that's yeah yeah. Also, um, it's magic. It's it's fucking. It's a magical it's, it's world. Magic. It's it's yeah. Um. So this volcano gets to be too much for the two of them. Also, just 
real quick touch on the way they're animated. I mean, we've seen Roku older, but the way Sozin, his old animation and the way that he's got these like spots and you just can tell he is not taking care of himself as well. I think that is portrayed a lot visually, you know, because we don't get a lot of context. Yeah, and, on we, and we just heard now. Azula basically say that he uh, was ancient and like, Grew, right. he like lived in peace to the end of his days right and it's just clear based on like his face that yeah. like he's he's been disgruntled for the last yeah. 10 years you know yeah. so they're running away and roku is trying to warn him like don't breathe in the poisonous air and right after he says that roku himself gets blasted in the face with just a geyser of this this sickly poisonous air and you see his vision like his point of view vision start to shake and vibrate and he looks at his hands and he panicked looks around and you can tell this is like really settling in after all of this you know he he comments to ang as he's describing battling it like it was hard enough to combat these natural elements but to do it while i could barely breathe too and now he just got blasted directly in the face he starts to fall like to his you knees. know that that's that's it that yeah. blast to the face that was it i watching it coughed you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um and he calls out to his friend please and sozin looks at him and says without you all of my plans fall into place. Oh, man. And you see just the fury on Roku's face as he starts, like, coughing. And just, he's he knows he's done for. He knows Sozin is going to, like, just take hold of this situation in the world. And just his eyes, man. You know the shot I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Ooh. And it's almost unnerving. Yeah. Uh, Sozin flies away, and as this ash, this huge plume oh, of man, ash comes down. Oh, man, this shit makes me feel things. Fang, Fang, his dragon, flies down and circles wraps around, around him. him. And it reminds me together. of Appa uh, circling Aang inside yep. of the ice, you know? Yeah, like a thousand percent, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's really fucking sad, too. I don't know. Yeah. Like, he's his spirit animal, his companion. Yeah. Like, he's not letting, he's not going to leave him. Spirit so he's going to, yeah. he's going to curl around him and be there with him to the end. And I just think that's beautiful. So sad. And fuck Sozin in that moment. Yep. No redemption. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's uh, basically where the story ends. With Roku gone and the comet returning, Sozin gives context that he was able to succeed with his plans. He knew the next Avatar would be born uh, in the Air Nation, and so he swiftly wiped out all of the Air Temples, which... And we see it this time now for the first time. We see Air Temples on fire, and it's sickening to see, you know? And is this the first time we're getting context... That the air nomads were entirely wiped out specifically because Aang. Because the next Avatar would be in the Air Nation. I think this is. I think we are now... Because we might have thought, you know, 
they're nomads. They're monks. They're peaceful they're people. They're defenseless. So they're, they have ways to defend themselves, but they're also pacifists. They're in a way defenseless. Yeah. They're an easy target. But it's also specifically to try and snuff out the Avatar. Um, yeah. Oh, so we realize sinister intentions as well and see how all of this came to be. Um, and we know Sozin spent the rest of his life searching in vain for the Avatar, for Aang. Uh, so he did not die peacefully at home. Um, but this is the end of the context that we get from Sozin's Last Testament. And Zuko's like, what is this? Where's the rest? And we get hard cut to the prison. And this is, I didn't make the connection. I was like, I don't know who sent that scroll. And now it's like, of course it was Iroh. And how did he do it? He's Iroh. <laughs> you yep. know? Um, yeah. Zuko walks in and he says, you sent this thing. And it, uh, uh, you should retitle this, the history that most people already know. He was still alive in the end it didn't even tell me about his demise and now we get the first line from greg baldwin as iroh replacing mako we've not heard him speak yet this season and i'm gonna say in the past i never noticed as much i knew the voice actor passed away but i kind of forgot by this time and was just I noticed it big you, time man. this episode. It sounds like I it's it sounds like a forced accent. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Your family. Yeah. It Listen, sounds kinda I, like how I sound when I try to do Iroh. And I don't even yeah. mean to be Yeah. But there's you know, we're not making money off of the impression that we're doing. We're not making any money off of this right now. But, like, even so, we would be quoting a thing we're talking about. Like, I don't know. I think Greg Baldwin does a good enough job. And I think him being embraced by this, you know, fandom is all right. I just, the fact that he also replaced Mako as Aku in Samurai Jack. Really? Yes. His two biggest credits, his like most reputable credits on his resume are replacing Maku as Aku in Samurai Jack and replacing Mako as Iroh in Avatar The Last Airbender. And there's something that just doesn't feel like it sits the, right with me about a white guy. The thing that just doesn't sit right with me making is a career his Twitter. Is what? Have you seen his Twitter? No. So it's just... Iro Twitter. Is so it? like he dresses up as Iro and his profile picture is him cosplaying and every now and then he'll put a video on Twitter of him dressed as Iro giving like words of advice. In times like this we must remember to be peaceful, you know, things like that. Yeah. Like and it isn't great. It isn't great. It's a little like, like oh, man, dude, Mako, you know? Yeah. You're how, not Iroh. Mako was Iroh. You, you, you grabbed the baton yeah, and you helped out. To get Thank to the you. finish line. Appreciate you. But you're not Iroh, man. You're yeah. not. That's how I feel about it. 
Yeah, I think we'll probably have more to talk about uh, with Greg Baldwin taking over this role in the future. Um, We're almost to the end of this episode. I think it's definitely important to talk about. And I think it does bring this scene down because we've... We haven't heard him talking yet. We know, you know, and there's the anticipation of what are they going to do? How is the voice going to be? And it works. It sounds enough like Mako, but it's just different. It's just not, it's just not the same. And it kind not of, as it, sincere. It it's not. It sounds like a guy that's acting sincere. Yes. Um, this scene in general, though, I will say it works pretty well for me. To me, it's one of the most important scenes in the whole show. Oh, absolutely. I and we say that a lot, but I mean, <laughs> writing-wise, not like... The arc of the in whole In my memory. Thing, like, this this, if this scene vital. didn't happen, then the show wouldn't be the even show half would... as impactful as right. it is. Yes. Iroh says, no. Uh, Sozin was your father's grandfather. Your mother's grandfather was Roku. I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about it. Like he Dude. is literally the combination of the Fire Lord and the Avatar. He is both of these things. He So we've been told Aang is the one who needs to bring balance to the world and yes, he's vital in doing that. But Zuko has like born into the blueprint of his entire person the ability to bring to resolve these troubles and bring balance to the world. And Iroh tells him that. And Zuko actually, he makes an angry face at this final... um, Because Iroh sort of lays all this out. And in order to understand the battle within yourself, it will help to understand the struggle between your, your ancestors and what happened generations ago can be resolved by you. And Zuko gives an angry look, and I think it's just frustration at, like, what is this? Like, how did I not know this before? Why have you not told me this sooner? What what am I supposed to do with this now? And then it's all brought together with Iroh pulling out a, a brick in his cell, and in it, he has wrapped up this... <laughs> this is the coolest shit ever to Bun me. crown. It is just the coolest <laughs> shit. And the way that uh, having it in that fucking brick. It's yeah. like some Monte Crisco, you know? I fucking oh, love yeah. it. And then this final shot of Zuko holding it, this thing that is meant for the crown prince, and the light shining from Iroh's cell window down onto him, like this golden diagonal light shining down on him. This feels like a big destiny turning point. And that's where we're left with Zuko. We cut back to the gang, uh, sort of debriefing about what everything uh, Aang saw. And they're like, Sozin, after everything, still betrayed him like that? And Toph says, it's like these people were born bad. And Aang immediately is like, no, I, I don't think that's what he was trying to tell us at all. I think, in fact, kind of the opposite. Because Roku was as much a Fire Nation person as Sozin was. So what he was trying to show us is all people are capable of great good and great evil. And so even these even these huge figures like the Fire Lord that we need to face off with can be can be and should be approached 
as just people. And that's something we've talked about and something I haven't caught in the show before um, that I'm really appreciating is that message. When we see Fire Lord Ozai, he's just a dude. You know, he's just yeah, some guy. Yeah, and this episode shows us that Roku is just a dude. Yeah. You know, from the beginning of us seeing Roku until now, he's been a fucking spirit, yeah. for one. <laughs> right. And two, he's been this all-wisdom, like, mm-hmm. guru almost, like, type... Uh, there literally is a guru, so that's not his role. But he <laughs> yeah. acts like that, like a spiritual guide for Aang. And it almost makes him seem like a god or something, like mm-hmm. otherworldly, like beyond human yeah, human quality. Ability. Yeah, and sure. this episode shows us that every single person in this episode is a human, you know? Yep. Or in the show. Yep. Not, not just um, Zuko and Aang, but... We now know, like, just just that first scene with Roku as a kid uh, mm-hmm. and his buddy with the grass on his face. Yeah. I don't know. Like, there's something about that that just really drives home that this hello, Aang, is, <laughs> is still person. just like a kid inside. Yeah, you know, there is right. a kid, when he goes to bed and has dreams, he might be dreaming of, you know, being at school without his pants on. And you it know? seems like a joke in the show, but even him saying, like, and being the avatar doesn't hurt with the ladies either. It's like, you know, he's, he's a guy. He's a guy. He's just a guy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> he's just a guy. Um, he like had like a little smirk too, you know? And I love this final moment. I fucking I got I got teary eyed. Toph saying, Do you really think some friendships can be so strong they laugh they last more than one lifetime? And Aang takes her hand and says, I don't see why not. Katara takes Toph's hand too. And Sokka interjects, well, scientifically, there's no way to prove that Sokka, just hold hands. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. It's a good good little uh, moment of levity to end this uh, pretty intense thematically and contextually uh, episode. And I think that is one of the only two contenders, I think, for our Kid Moment of the Week! Kid Moment of the Week! It was not very funny. Kid Moment for a very intense episode. I like that. I like... There's basically uh, pooping and hold hands, Sokka. And I do also like the grass on the face. The grass on the face is good, too. That's such an interesting thing because it's so... It strikes so human that it's like... I think a kid would appreciate that, and we appreciate it in like a wow way, you know. I don't yeah. think it's more kid moment than the pooping thing. The pooping thing, and I don't even really <laughs> like that moment. But I think, as far as kid moment, like, what is more kid than <laughs> he looked like he's pooping? Yeah, yeah, and. We need it for the kids in this episode, too. You know, like, that moment is specifically for people under the age of 10 watching this to hold their attention, you know? Yeah, you're right. But do I dislike it enough that we that we don't use it? What do you think? I think... Ah, fuck it. Yeah. With some slight reserve. Some slight reserve we give it to Aang looking like he's pooping. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, uh... A really good episode. I think a lot of good points. This is one of my favorites that is not 
connected to an episode before or after it. Do you yep. know what I mean by that? Totally. A bottle episode. I love it. Yep, I love it. Love Ron Perlman. Oh, such it's an one asset of the... to this episode. I when when voice actors like that show up on an animated show, all I can think is how did they get them? Yeah. Right. And I don't mean that in like a animated shows are a lesser medium, but I do think that actors think that. Yeah. Or some do at least. There are actors who would see this opportunity and be like, Okay, I've been Hellboy before. I was just in you know, I just signed up to do Pacific Rim in a few years. Mm. Like obviously right. I can make some money being an actor in movies. Yeah. Uh what is this? This TV show for on Nickelodeon, you know? Right. But he did it and it created now Sozin has a voice. You yeah. Know? Right. When I hear Sozin's comet, I'm imagining Ron Perlman being like, This is my comet. Yeah, you know, I don't right. know. It's uh yeah. Well, thank you for listening. If you're looking for something else to listen to, you can always check out our actual play Dungeons and Dragons podcast with our other two friends, Dustin and Sam. And that is going to be called Legend. Well, gonna. It is. That is called Legendary Four Adventures. Space Vampires. Thank you, Gary. Um, thank you to Sophina Sago for our cover art. You can uh, find all those episodes, all these episodes. I did things slightly out of order this time just to keep things interesting. Find uh, all of our podcast episodes on legendary4.com. There's comment sections on all the episodes. You can also reach out to us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, all at New Lens Pod. If you're able to, please check out those donation links on how you can help out the Black Lives Matter movement in the description of these episodes. Um, I, leave, I, I leave a featured one so that you don't get overwhelmed by a huge list. Um, you can, you know, do one at a time if you're able to give, uh, consistently. And that's going to do us for this episode. We will see you. Well, y you will hear us <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> Thanks again for listening, everybody. And, uh, one more time, let's, uh, say a big sigh of fucking Nara to the year 2020. Oh, yes. Goodbye, 2020. Fuck you. Good riddance. Uh, and with that, I'm Calvin. And I'm Gary. This has been a new lens.